Hello, and welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values Podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson, and I'm the Associate Editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined, as always, by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, there's some some extensions to talk about today, some trade news, a couple other odds and ends. Uh, uh, sorry, not trade news, injury news. <laughs> um, a couple other odds and ends, uh, but I think first we need to address the elephant in the room. Um, pun only you know, halfway intended on that one. Mm, it is an elephant. The, the, the big Vegas news for the A's. Um, I, I've been processing this throughout the week, and I have some thoughts on it from multiple different angles, but I, I don't want to devote too much time to any of that here. Uh, so start out with just how you're doing, how you were doing before the news, how you're doing after the news, and uh, maybe your, your gut reaction to it and how you're feeling right now. I'm feeling fine. I know I'm an exception, as but it's weird because I, I I don't live in that area and I haven't for a long time. I have raised my kids as A's fans, but they don't live in that area, so it's weird for them when they start Little League and they're asked what their favorite team is and years, years go by. That seems weirder. So, you know, we've kind of been slipping away from it, to be honest. And, and you know, running this site also gives me more of a national perspective. Um so if I had to pick a team, it would still be them. But the fact that they would be in a different location doesn't matter as much to me personally. Uh, I know we'll talk about you know some of the other implications from a front office standpoint in a minute. But um, personally, I'm surprisingly weirdly okay. I know that sounds terrible, uh, but I found myself googling the the location, and I'm like, oh, that looks okay. <laughs> like, yeah, what am I doing? <laughs> So, and I'm a guy who, you know, grew up in that area. So uh, in the Bay Area as a local, but I, I haven't been local for a long time. So it didn't hit me as hard as perhaps some others. Yeah, uh, I'm in the same boat as far as no longer living in the area. I mean, I have some family somewhat in the area, not not quite as close as they used to be. Um, but I think, I, I think my two cents is that it, it hit me harder than I expected it to. And I think part of that is that I, I'm with you where working out with this site and just generally, you know, I, I have a bit of a journalism background from school. And, and so part of that is, you know, you're not supposed to pick favorites, right? If you're, if you're covering baseball, you probably shouldn't have an active rooting interest in a team. And I know some in the online sphere, some people skirt around that a little bit, but I have been kind of drifting apart from the A's slowly and slowly and slowly. And, you know, the worse the team has gotten, the easier that gets, right? Um, but I don't think I was fully apart from them yet. And I think I expected to be able to to do so on my own terms. And so the fact that they might be just uprooting and going to Vegas and and spitting in the face of a lot of fans who, who cared a lot about the history and the city and, and all of that... Um, just kind of out of nowhere and, and I, I don't necessarily have the chance to go out on my own terms with them that's a bit of a bummer um so i think i think that was my you know my my main reaction was all obviously just like shock and disappointment but after processing for a bit that's that's kind of one of my t- key takeaways and then the other being that we know that owners and and front offices they don't always operate with the fans interest in mind they they often operate as a business and, and that's part of part of what this whole deal is right if you're going to have this much money in it it's going to be operated like a business um but then there's a line between not operating with the fans best interest in part in in mind and then just blatantly rejecting the fans best interest blatantly doing 
what is worst for a large portion of your fan base just to save a couple bucks and that kind of feels like what this is is oh just totally kind of spitting in the face of the local fans who have raised generations of A's fans in the bay area just to just to save a couple bucks yeah the disdain for the fans and the disdain for it doesn't seem like even owner john fisher even cares about the sport you know the baseball aspect of it maybe he does maybe i'm reading too much into it but it certainly if you if you buy the idea that actions speak louder than words he never says anything but his actions are clearly like i don't care about the team i don't care about the fans you would you know i wouldn't be surprised to come to that conclusion um and you know by all by all indications it is very much a business play very much a real estate play and that's what they were trying to get done at in, on the waterfront location at howard terminal uh, it was really more like yeah the stadium will be kind of the anchor of you know one of these communities like you see in in texas and in atlanta where they want like restaurants and bars and things like that around it and really cool community and <clears throat> they were trying to build that it just didn't they didn't quite get it done with the city of oakland and so they think they can build that in Vegas. So it is my point is, is it's it's more of a real estate play than a baseball play from the owner's perspective, which kind of validates the fact that he doesn't seem to care about the team. Right. And to be clear, none of this, no shovels in the dirt yet. And Tim Kawakami had a good piece in The Athletic this morning about uh, this. This wouldn't be their first failure if it were to fall through in Vegas. There, yeah. there's a laundry list of potential stadium sites that have been the site. We locked it in, binding agreement, and then not happened. With obviously Howard Terminal in Oakland being the most recent one on that list, at least as of now. But it seems like even some folks in Vegas were kind of blindsided by this news and by this quote-unquote binding land agreements that the A's are into, with the expectation of. $500 million in public funds just showing up for them from Vegas. Um, so I, there's, I, I'm not hanging on to anything. I'm not, you know, clinging for things. I'm not in denial. I'm not in that stage of grief or yeah. anything yeah, like yeah. that, but it seems like there's, there's at least a, a possible plausible chance that they hit the same roadblock in, in Vegas that they were hitting in Oakland where they're not the, the local government isn't going to, cough up as much money as the team wants and then maybe they're back to square one so, uh, the, the kind of pseudo timeline that fisher has on this is by the end of the year because if they don't have something lined up and locked in by the end of the year uh within the new cba that means the a's are cut off from revenue sharing and uh, right. god forbid john fisher lose out on a couple <laughs> bucks yeah yeah exactly um so there's a clock ticking on this but you know i i noticed and this didn't get a lot of play um this particular site was one they had interest in a while ago, and it was I, – I don't know all the details, but it was off the table for a while, and they had to look at alternative sites. And I think they were playing some hardball here, and you know, and that's what the mayor of Oakland accused them of basically. It was like, okay, we're, we were basically the stocking horse, so you can negotiate with a site you really wanted, which apparently they eventually got back on the table. So I, I – I don't know what to make of that other than I think this one it feels more real than some of the other failed attempts because this is the site they wanted all along and they had to play hardball to get the site. And once they got it, um, they're like, okay, we're we're good. We're good to go. And the fact that they issued statements and the mayor of Oakland issued statements feels like it's more real than some of these other things. So I'm, I'm in the camp where I think this is happening. And so and personally, I think i'm ready to move on as is all of baseball <laughs> just get it done and there's a part of me that's like oh cool shiny new toy but what, what's the city gonna look like and all that so um 
So I'm kind of going there. Right. I'm with you as far as, you know, that this feels more real than some of the other ones. You know, when, when they slapped down some renderings and said, we're picking Laney College, even though they hadn't had any kind of agreements or discussions or negotiations regarding actually purchasing that land, that, that felt very different than what this currently feels like. Um, yeah. It's going to yeah. be something to monitor. I think the next quote-unquote deadline, like the, the next time we should be keeping an eye out for is I think it's in mid to late May that the A's current um, exclusive negotiating agreement for the port in Oakland, that'll expire. Yeah. And so uh, if, if they're so focused on Vegas and the city isn't, there's no reason for the city to extend that for them. So it, once that ends, who knows, maybe the city goes into talks with some other developers, maybe the A's do have to come back, but then there's a new hurdle to, to address. If, if Vegas doesn't yeah. work out, then they, whoops, we need to get this negotiating window opened up again. Um, so that's kind of the next pillar to, to take an eye, uh, to keep an eye on. Um, yeah. Aside so, from some of that nitty gritty, though, what does this mean for the A's from from more of our perspective, right? From a front office perspective, from their budget, from how yeah. the team might operate in Vegas. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So look at the timeline. If let's assume it's a big if I know, but let's assume for a moment that they do, in fact, stick to their timeline. Um, break ground shovels in 2024, open the stadium 2027. Now, and also, let's also assume another big if that there's enough fan interest to draw some better revenue from that, either whether it be from tourists or for some from some locals or some combination of of things. Um, and you know, <clears throat> looking at previous relocations, looking at what the Raiders did, they seem to do okay. You know, maybe you can think, okay, there's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel now from a front office perspective, because from their perspective, they had nothing to work with. Their owner was basically telling them, shut it down, trade all your players, minimal budget, you know, we're in a losing team for a while. They're rebuilding, right? Um, now, if they stayed in the Coliseum, that's an unending black hole, right? When are we going to be able to spend money? When are we going to extend players? Let's say Mason Miller and Tyler Soderstrom do do well. We can't, are we going to have to trade them in three or four years? And this that's what that was looking like. Whereas in 2027 in Vegas, if you have more money to spend, maybe you can't extend them. And maybe, just maybe, you can kind of play the new toy, shiny new toy thing and sign a couple of free agents and have a bigger budget. So in other words, now they have a little bit of a window to say, let's plan for 2027. Let's be a competitive team by then. Maybe we'll have a little more money to throw around by then. Here we are in 2023. We basically have three more years of a rebuild, you know. But the arrow is going to be going up at that point, and so so let's target that. So that has repercussions for, you know, um, timelines for players. Like I said, any good young players who may come up before now and then, they may still be in their pre-arb years or first-arb year at that point. Maybe you look at. I know we're putting cart before the horse, but basically you can start planning ahead for a better day. That's what it means for the front office. So I, I think I have two takeaways from that. The first being that there is a pretty lofty assumption baked in there. And I'm not, I'm not discrediting you for this or anything, but it, it is certainly a wild card is how much support will there be for this team in Vegas, right? Um, will they just be playing second fiddle to the Raiders? Is there a reason that, you know, the Raiders football games, eight games a year, eight home games a year, whatever it is, are more attractive to a tourist or to 
that local community than the the grind of 81 home games of baseball a year is it something with the stadium we know they're going to have to have at least a at least some form of a roof if they want to play in vegas throughout the summer whether it's retractable or permanent i'd assume it would be retractable um so how's the stadium turnout how's the location of it and just what what is the priority there in vegas i know the the aviators the a's triple a affiliate there in vegas they routinely top the minor league uh attendance charts and so maybe that's a good sign in the a's favor um but yeah, I think it's a valid question. I think we what we saw maybe in Texas, and I know that situation was a little bit muddled by um, by COVID and, and the mm-hmm. timing of when they opened their new stadium. But I think we saw a little bit that just because you have a new stadium doesn't mean that fans are going to flock there for years and years and give your team however long it needs to be competitive. You know, we, we saw they, they did decent numbers at that stadium in the first couple months of 2021 when they were back up and running, and then things petered off because the team was terrible. And then in 2022, I think we saw a bit of the same because, you know, they made the big splash. They signed Simeon and Seeger, but the team was still pretty terrible. And so they weren't selling that place out, I think, the way that they hoped they would when they opened that brand new stadium. So and obviously this is a bit different with a relocation and you have an entire, entirely new crop of potential fans that you could be marketing yourself to. Uh, but I think that's question number one. And then question number two, does the A's front office look anything like it does right now? like seven years from now or four years from now or however long it takes them to get over to over to Vegas because do you think Billy Bean would actually go with this team to Vegas he seems like he's a local he's locally invested out. and yeah exactly he's he's already indicated that he might be losing interest in baseball losing interest in the A's you know he, we've always thought he might end up in soccer at some point and he he briefly got pretty close to that a couple years back um before deciding to stick with the A's, but it, it sure seems like he's checked out. I don't know much about David Forst personally. I don't know much about the rest of the front office, but I wonder if that leads to a shakeup. And the the kind of twist there is, I wonder if that's a good thing for the team because it, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, as as respected as Billy Bean is, and as much credit as he deserves for everything that he has done in Oakland, and to some degrees continues to do. I think he he continues to lead some shrewd moves. Again, we have no real insight into how much how much he actually has to do with this, but obviously he trained Forced and I think Forced has made some decent moves. But it seems like they're a little bit behind the times in general. You know, they're they're a team that goes out and picks up a Jerry's Familia to soak up innings in their bullpen rather than finding that next young reliever who they make this tweak and that tweak and then boom he's he's closing out games for you and then he's a prime trade chip you know they're they're light years behind the rays it feels like when it comes to talent i talent acquisition talent evaluation talent development they're right they're far behind the times it looks like you know they're they're one of these teams that's still trying to like hey pitch to contact ground balls like they they give you that vibe sometimes and you know when you when you saw shintaro fujinami signed with the a's was your first thought okay great they're they're gonna they're gonna revive this guy's career they're gonna make him an ace or was your first thought oh that's a weird fit (laughs) because mine was definitely the latter you know it's it's (laughs) and it's proving true Right, right. This yeah. guy continues to show that he has like some of the best stuff in baseball and just no idea where it's going. And I'm not saying that any other team necessarily would have been able to fix him because it's been a, a long-standing issue throughout his career. But it's not hard to imagine that a team like the Dodgers or the Rays or even the Yankees could fix a guy like that and that they'd be more likely to do so than a team like the A's. And it's just because 
a lot of the A's thinking up and down the pipeline, whether it's scouting, development, coaching, etc. It it just seems like it's behind the times, and so maybe a shakeup would be good for the team's success on the field. I, I do completely agree. I had that same thought. Um, this would be the perfect time, assuming this thing goes goes through, to invest in a whole new front office infrastructure. I think in in new talent, you know, hire some people from the Rays or an innovative team that you know from somewhere, get some new blood in, start really investing in you know the actual front office, laying some groundwork for innovations, buying some new technology. Got a funny feeling they're still using old, outdated technology like edge edgetronic cameras and things like this that that more innovative teams are using. You know, hire some analysts. Their their analytics department, uh, from what I understand, is pretty small. Um, so they need to really invest in like let's make it a let's a just keep up with the joneses because we've fallen behind but b maybe you can get a step ahead of the joneses if you really play your cards right and really start there and invest in that um that's what a smart team would do knowing that you have a few years to kind of before the new stadium opens in 2027 again big if um but that's what i would do and then you know also you know they've been striking out a lot in the uh, international community and one of the things that innovative teams like the rays do is they have a really strong presence in the dominican republic right one of the one of the best you know operations there so they need to lay some groundwork there because they've been striking out on a lot of those guys and wasting a lot of money on them so they need to draft well better so get some guys who know how, how to how that kind of you know basically invest in scouting international scouting international operations analytics innovations the whole ball of wax that's what I would do first because they've got some time to kind of lay that groundwork and see the bear, see the fruits bear by 2027 and then add to it from there. I have a sleeper pick and I'm not going to invest anything into this because a whole lot of different things would have to change over the course of this season for this to happen. But there is one, there's one big name executive whose contract expires at the end of this year. And it's not the one you're thinking of. I'm not saying David Stearns because I think he's, He's too big of a name, you know. Why would he go to the A's? But yeah. up in Toronto, Heim Bloom is on a one-year deal. You mean Boston? Is no, he's with. Or sorry, not Heim Bloom. God, James <laughs> Click, the other one, <laughs> the other yes. raised yes. to yeah, 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 uh, yeah. In 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 Toronto, excuse me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> James Click is on a one-year deal. Yep. Wouldn't he make a lot of sense if they were looking to revive this? And couldn't the A's make a lot of sense for him if he's trying to? So not not saying... that I think he has a sullied reputation to rebuild or anything. I think he just kind of got screwed in Houston. I don't think I don't think anybody around the league is looking at him and saying he's damaged goods or anything like that. I think he was just a victim of circumstance and questionable ownership. And so maybe that's maybe that's a reason he wouldn't want to join John Fisher's A's. But so so I no, I, I hear you and I get where you're coming from. But you're saying John Fisher would fire forced and bring in Click in this scenario. And I don't see Fisher doing that because he doesn't seem to know or care too much about the baseball side. He's like, okay, Billy, you set it up. You groomed David Forrest and now Forrest guy. And they just sort of do their thing. And he kind of lets them do their thing. And they like that. Um, and then they would have to convince him. So the way I see it is, is Forrest would have to say, hey, we need money to kind of build these all these uh, operations that I was just talking about and invest in the future as kind of a first priority. What I don't see is Fisher saying, you guys suck. I'm going to bring in James Click. <laughs> it just doesn't seem to care. He's far more interested in the real estate, I think. I think what I see is the potential catalyst for this idea is 
Bean leaves on his own accord. You know, he uh-huh. doesn't get fired, but he says, I'm, I'm kind of over this. I've been checked out, and I'm not going to Vegas with you guys. I'm out of here. And then maybe, again, this is a whole lot of speculation. Does Forced have some connection there where he says, hey, I don't really want to do this job without Billy, and maybe I'm in the same boat, and I'm, I'm not thrilled about this Vegas thing? Or... yeah. Do, well, do we get to that point and he and force gets promoted and now there is a spot for click although maybe click doesn't click definitely deserves better than being under a guy like forced but yeah yeah a whole so, lot a whole lot of speculation just a name i wanted to throw out there uh first i yeah, threw out right. the wrong name but the correct <laughs> name i want to throw out there is james click yeah i mean he's sitting there in toronto helping out um and kind of biding his time and waiting for the next opportunity so you're not wrong um just not i'm not sure if it would be in in Oakland slash Las Vegas, but he's probably going to get another opportunity somewhere. Yeah. Right. Do you have any other thoughts on any of this mess? Um, I, 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 yeah. Do you have any other thoughts here? Um, only this. Baseball's a business. I know that's not breaking news. If you look at the A's history, they've been a vagabond team. They went from Philly to Kansas City to Oakland. So if you look at it from a really big historical perspective, not a surprise that they would be vagabonding away again to a new city. And other teams are like that. I think about like the Rams and the football and football and the Cardinals and football. And there's some teams that just are like that. You know, they're never quite settled. They're not like the Yankees. They're not like the Red Sox where they've always got a home there. They've always been built there. There's some teams that are just vagabond teams. And this is one of them. Right. And I guess the last, last thing I wanted to mention that I didn't get to yet is I was so convinced the A's weren't moving to Vegas. And the two biggest reasons for that were, one, there's a lot of money that other owners are missing out on here. Manfred has already stated he would waive the relocation fee, which is like a billion dollars or something like that. Uh, and that, that would normally go into the pockets of all the other owners for a team relocating. But Manfred has said that they, they would waive that fee for the A's to go to Vegas. Okay. You'd also be missing out on a potential expansion fee in Vegas, and I know it's not like a, you know, just because the A's move to Vegas doesn't mean expansion isn't going to happen. If anything, it makes it more likely. And then if they expand elsewhere, you still get your expansion fee, whatever. But still, that does take a contender off the market for a new team, and that's a couple billion dollars that goes into the other owners' pockets when when the league expands. And so there, by letting the A's move to Vegas, the owners would be missing out on some of that money. And and that's surprising. Uh, I, again, not to not to put the cart before the horse. I don't think we know that all the other owners are okay with this, but it would be surprising if they were, given how financially driven they tend to be. And then the other element of it is, guess who's left in the Bay Area? All to themselves, San Francisco. They have the entirety yeah. of Northern California. Uh, granted, there's there's some fans of other teams in Northern California. Don't get me wrong, but there's a huge market there. Yeah. There's a reason it was split between two teams. And I think there's people who will argue in, in fairly bad faith that the Bay Area couldn't support two teams, and that's why the A's moved. That's not true. When <laughs> the, the, I think the bigger problem is that we haven't had much time with the Bay Area in its current state and with both the A's and the Giants having competent stadiums. And, and so it hasn't been a fair comparison. Whereas if you if you put the A's in a new stadium that can rival Oracle, I think you would see just how well the Bay Area could support two teams. And so letting the A's move seems like a terrible idea to me if you're the owner of the Dodgers or the Padres or the D-backs or the Rockies. 
Because guess what? You know, we know the Giants have money. And now guess what? We're going to just give them more by giving them the, that entire market. We're going to, I'm sure there's some A's fans that would, or especially the more casual ones that, that convert over. And now they're going to Giants games and they're supporting the Giants. And they're the only talk in town, especially, you know, after, after the Raiders moved as well. It's just, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I, I'm surprised other owners would theoretically be on board with that. I know it doesn't impact all of baseball as strongly as it would impact the NL West specifically, but Hey, we're also talking about realignment, right? And so there's other West coast teams that could be impacted here down the line. And so it would surprise me if there weren't at least a couple dissenters because of just, just do that reason alone. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Um, I mean, the giants have been dominant for a while now, so it feels like it's just sort of like, rubber stamping the fact that it was obvious for a while anyway, um, to me. Um, but to your first point, I mean, the owners, look, we've been, Manfred has been very clear that they have to resolve the A's and Rays stadium issues before they can address expansion. And so he's been trying to push them to get this resolved, and that's why they're moving. Um, and then once they get that resolved, the owners are going to get, and then they're going to, I think, act reasonably quickly to identify the new, the next new cities for the relocation teams, and that's when the owners are going to get their share of the of the of the new fees um, for the expansion teams. So I feel like they're going to get that money anyway. Um, and taking Las Vegas off the table just means you're opening it up for Portland or Vegas or Nashville or wherever. So either way, they're going to get paid on that on that when that happens. Um, and if they didn't relocate to Vegas and just got a new stadium in Oakland, they wouldn't get, there wouldn't have been a relocation fee anyway. So it feels like that's a wash to me. Um, so I don't think that's, you know, maybe I'm doing the math wrong, but I don't think that's, that's a big deal. Um, there's maybe a little bit of a big deal. Like, so the Bay area has always been kind of the awkward. If you look at it from a population standpoint and market standpoint, Obviously, New York, L.A. are the two big ones, and Chicago, the third one. And there's always been some question about whether the Bay Area was big enough to handle two baseball teams. It only has one football team now. It only has one basketball team. It only has one hockey team. So you're like, why would it have two baseball teams? I mean, there's that sort of logical question. Is it, It's kind of like right on the cusp of can it handle two teams or not. And I've always wondered that. And with the dominance of the Giants, it sort of makes me feel like maybe it can't. I know that's weird to say, but I don't know. I'm not totally sold that it can. So the Bay Area only has one basketball team, but Northern California does have two. I want to. I want to. Yeah, well, see, there's geogra geographical separation. There. Right. No, I know what you're saying. In basketball, you you know, you're only getting ten, twelve thousand fans a, a game. So, but but yeah, I mean, I always sort of felt like San Francisco and Oakland were so close together that that was also part of the problem. Like the wish list was always probably San Jose because it's a little bit more geographical separation there. You can kind of it's much like. Like L.A. and Anaheim, right? That makes sense. Or the north side and the south side of Chicago makes sense. You know, Queens and the Bronx even. So, But you have to have some separation in order to kind of justify it. So that would be some just enough separation, I think. Sacramento is probably not big enough to handle a baseball team. But, but yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, that's, that's fair. And I think we could sit here for another hour, two hours, and talk about all the ins and outs of this. But... I think we've said our piece at least uh, yeah. that's that's relevant to kind of the the territory of this podcast. So uh, let's 
move on to the other news of the week. Um, and we're actually going to lead with one that we've mentioned a few times previously. Um, but but I want to make sure it, it gets up front and people hear about it. There's a new brief article on the site, brief write-up on the site that John posted. I'll have that linked in the show notes. Uh, but coming soon, new Baseball Trade Values website. It's going to be new. It's going to be improved. It's going to work <laughs> a whole lot better than the current one has been. Uh, we, we are very aware of many of the bugs that have been reported. We've encountered many of them ourselves as well. And um, just in general, the, the the website as constructed can't really support what we're trying to do. And so there is a new one coming soon. Uh, do you have any, any new updates on that front uh, compared to what you put in this article here or just anything else you wanna add, any, any features you wanna tease? <laughs> yeah, it's moving to Vegas. <laughs> We're getting a new billion dollar stadium. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, yeah, you know, it's it's that grown its original technology. And that's, I suppose, good news, uh, because it's been I'm pleasantly surprised that it's 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 done well enough. But now if you can imagine all of these trades and all these proposals and everything in and it's what's making the site slower because the platform it's it was built on can't scale that much and so it's getting a little bit slower the search results are getting buggier so we knew from the technology point of view we needed to redo it so that's part of what's going on um but the other part of it is hey as long as we're redoing it can we add some new cool features so along the way we've gotten a lot of feedback like have you guys thought about doing this and this and this and so we're basically saying yeah now's the time to do it so we're investing in some new features as well we also um know that the ads can be annoying so we're going to offer some ad free options yes it will cost a little bit but that's going to get you the new cool features as well so we'll talk about more uh, that more as we get closer to the launch date um, we're looking at a mid-may ish emphasis on the ish launch because sometimes these things you know have to sometimes they you know they slip a week or two but um that's what we're shooting for um so uh, but we're very excited about it um early early signs are very good uh, as we're building it um, meanwhile we're doing a new update of the values next week so uh, watch out for that as we're obviously in a new 2023 season so some of the the performances have changed a little bit so you'll see an update uh in a few days as well cool yeah i'm very excited for the new site and i can't wait to to break into some of these new features and explain them in further in depth and i, I think they're going to be a lot of fun to play with like you said it's, it's stuff that we've gotten asked about repeatedly and and some of these things are ideas we've had on our own and then we get three emails or tweets or whatever about them and we're like okay we, we're on the right track here <laughs> they do want this one yeah, yeah. um but yeah it's going to be some really cool stuff I, I can't wait to share it and have it all up and running so i know that's really vague but we're going to sort of as we get closer, we'll start to talk more about the details and what those new features are. It's a little early yet, so as we get closer, we will. Right. Okay, cool. Uh, let's move on to the transactions from the last few weeks. Uh, there were a few more extensions, kind of, you know, the leftover bits from spring training conversations. Uh, let's start with the only hitter of the bunch, and that's Ian Happ. He's signing a three-year, or he signed, I should say, a three-year extension worth $61 million dollars. Um, so pretty, pretty straightforward deal. He was going to be a free agent after the season. I think I mentioned like an offhand comment last episode about how rough the free agent market looked after Otani next, next off season. And, uh, this doesn't help <laughs> getting Ian Happ off the market does not help. Um, it's really looking like on the offensive side, Otani, 
Matt Chapman, who's having an insane year, and to Oscar Hernandez. And then pretty big drop-off after them. Uh, but I digress. This is, this is about Ian Happ. Uh, he's, he's a pretty quality player. He's kind of settled into this role. And early in his career, he was kind of bumping around the diamond. They thought he, they could use him on the infield. He didn't really work out there. Uh, but now he's made himself into a pretty solid outfielder. And this kind of matches what the Cubs have been trying to do of get this solid veteran core in place to support some of the, their younger talent coming up through the minors. And it, it really points to what their window is looking like for these next couple years. Um, very quickly on the values, this actually increased his surplus value by a, just a, just a little bit. Uh, we had him at 15.3. He goes up to 18.7, which basically tells you that we think he maybe got underpaid by about $3 million over the course of this deal, which isn't, isn't, very notable at all that's that's a rounding error so yeah i mean the other thing is that was the surplus pretty close in other words to the surplus he had for the remainder of this year and so what they really did was bought out the next three years at market value uh, which is in line with patterns that we've seen recently the closer you get to free agency the more you have to pay money in market value because the player is basically saying well i'm just gonna wait it out and then be free agent at the end of the year like Okay, we'll pay you what you would get in free agency or something close to that. And so that's what happened here as well. Right, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I I would would have expected Hap to have the October bonus built in, but now that he's extended, he loses that. So it might just be a, a total walk, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so it seems like a very fair deal. It's a guy they like who's been in a Chicago uniform his whole career. Uh, there's been plenty of trade speculation about him, but... I guess we can uh, toss that out the window now, and he's sticking in town, and that's good for them, good for their team. They they continue to have just a just a strange, interesting group of guys over there. And <laughs> yeah, I could well, see it really going either way. I you know I like the fact that they you know they gave Horner some bucks, they gave Hap some bucks, and they're basically saying, hey guys, stick around because this is going to get better and better each year. They got more young talent coming up, so they're kind of playing it both ways. There wasn't a total rebuild. It kind of felt like it for a couple of years, I suppose, from Cubs fans' perspective. But and they may not be ready yet to be competitive. But they signed Dansby, you know. They've still got Stroman, so they've got you know Suzuki. They've got some guys, right? And they're hoping to kind of like make a wild card and then go, you know, as as the young talent comes up, you know, um, Pete Crow Armstrong is lingering and getting good, and so you know, got some some prospects coming, and so I think they're playing that like let's. You know, let's not go total rebuild, and let's let's have the guys that we know we like stick around for a couple more years, and see what happens. And I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's something you'd argue that a team with their type of budget should be doing in the down years, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you understand if you know you have to go through some sort of a rebuild process, you have to trade off some of your veteran pieces when the team isn't doing as well, so you can get those prospects you like and start the next jumpstart the next big team. But you don't have to wait around for that group of prospects to let your team be watchable. You don't have to be the 2023 A's, not to <laughs> not to beleaguer that point, but good Lord, they're bad. Um, you, you don't have to do that to rebuild. And, and it's funny that it's the Cubs doing this, I guess, because they were one of the pioneers of the full tank job. But you don't have to do that necessarily. You can still spend money. You can still go out and get some guys who are interesting and have some upside. You can still keep around the players you like, especially on the younger side, like Happ and Horner. You can go out and get a Seiya Suzuki with some upside. You can grab a couple starters. You know, I'm, I'm maybe not 
thrilled about the Tyone deal for them, and, and I'm not sure how he's going to look in the last couple of years of that one, since he's already banged up and not, not pitching that well to start this contract. But this is the kind of thing you can do if you have this kind of money, and it gives you a watchable team right now, some guys to look out for, and it gives you a solid core in place for when those big, young, talented players are ready and are ready to take that step forward and push the team into contention. And you have a... I guess you could call him a star in Dansby. He's kind of like right on that bubble, at least for me. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's not a a Correa or a Machado or or a Seager that that a team would sign and to to kind of say, hey, we're here. You know, like the Rangers did with Seager. Of all right, we're we're getting into the market. We're, this is our guy, and we're going to build around him. Dansby's not quite that same guy, but if you can get a Dansby and have the money left over to to make these other ad- additions and extensions, then I think that might even be a more sustainable approach to something like this. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on from the Cubs, uh, we have a few pitchers that got locked up, kind of in succession in two fairly similar deals. Uh, let's start with the Giants. They locked up Logan Webb on a five-year, $90 million extension. Um, he's he's so good. <laughs> he's, he's really underrated. Um, he's off to a bit of a shaky start to the 2023 season, but... I think he's a really good pitcher. I think the Giants clearly believe that as well, given the commitment they're uh, they're giving him here. His surplus, once again, his surplus increased pretty significantly. He was at 81.7 prior to the deal, and then he jumps up to 114.1. Um, so yeah, it, it seems like a you know a, another case of maybe he left a little bit on the table, but that's part of what you're trading off since he was just in his arb years he wasn't i'm trying to find it here i think he was at least a couple years away from free agency yeah and uh he is a local guy rockland california Uh, that certainly played a part i'm sure and and, you know he's not he wasn't a top top prospect and the giants helped him develop into a frontline starter and so guys like that it it seems like might be more willing to stick around with the organization that you know believed in them and, and helped them become who they are so Makes a lot of sense on both ends here. Again, might might have left a little bit on the table, but as you as you said before, that's what we see in some cases like this where yeah. they are further away, and that's the trade off. You know, you're getting the security in exchange for a few bucks down the road. Yeah, and also depends on the years. This one has more years um, of control uh, than some of the other ones we talked about, the Cubs ones. So here you're going to get the kind of a double advantage of being far enough away from free agency so the team has most of the leverage. And then, you know, if you extend that out in multiple years, more you can get more surplus value. So that's what happened here. Right. And I, I think, you know, if you're the Giants and you're sitting around on all this money because of what happened this past offseason with Aaron Judge and Carlos Correa, I think this is probably the best way you could spend it right now, at least. Yeah. Um, I know there's the Otani question of it all coming up next off season, and they're certainly going to have some interest there. But... but hey, look, you're the only team in Northern California. You got nobody <laughs> to compete with. Right. Right. <laughs> so you got money, and there's probably going to be more money coming. Um, right. So sign your 26 year old ace because you mm-hmm. know you're getting his prime years, and you have plenty left over. Yeah, and Webb's a fan favorite. They they like him a lot there. Yeah. And. Yeah, it just makes sense, especially since they seem to be so good at just churning through these like mid rotation guys and getting more out of them via free agency. They sign, yeah. you know, the Alex Cobbs of the world and yeah. uh, Gosman. They turned him into more than a mid rotation guy, but 
they, they seem to be really good at that. And so having a guy, even if he's not like a, a surefire number one, like Logan Webb is no Jacob deGrom, but just having a guy that they feel like can be an anchor at the top of that rotation, and then they can do their thing with the rest of it and, and churn through those other guys, it, it seems like a good setup for them. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, let's head over to Minnesota, where the Twins extended Pablo Lopez, their big trade uh, trade acquisition from the offseason. Not their big acquisition of the offseason, that was Correa. But uh, this, this has been fascinating, and we can talk about both ends of this trade and how great of a start they've gotten to in the 2023 season. Uh, but yeah, Lopez gets a nice four-year, $73.5 million extension. Um, I, I did read some quotes from him about how just excited he was to be a twin and how he got over there and immediately the team was talking to him about what, what he could do to improve and what they had like kind of planned for him. And it's it's shown. I think his last start was a little bit on the rougher side, but before that, I think he was like leading the league in strikeouts or something. Um, he's He's been everything they expected and more. And I, I think he's developed his sweeper, which is the new pitch that everybody's developing, a new classification that, that we're just seeing all over the place. Uh, but I think Lopez's sweeper has developed into like a really devastating pitch, a real weapon for him. And I think that's part of what the Twins were working on him with. But yeah, just another case where it seems like a good marriage of team and player. It's a fair deal from a value perspective and... Yeah, a guy gets to stick around where he likes, and the Twins are another team that hasn't had much stability in the rotation, really ever. <laughs> not not ever. At least in the, in the 21st century, they've had some issues in the rotation for sure. That we aren't too far removed from Mike Pelfrey and Scott Diamond and <laughs> all of those guys and Ricky Nolasco. God, remember that Ricky Nolasco deal? Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, we're not far removed from from any of that junk, and I think Lopez is a very clear step above that. And yeah, I think they're they're excited to have him in town for a while. Yeah, and another keep in mind this is a, another sort of piece of the puzzle that we keep seeing, which is there he's still relatively young. Pablo Lopez is just in his age twenty seven years, so he's right in his prime. And they're buying out some more prime years, basically. And in our model, we basically have him worth in this contract. You know, 25 million, 26, 25, 24, 21. And he's getting, he still has um, the existing sort of um, our deal, I think, for this year, as I understand it, which is around five and a half million. He gets paid eight million. So he's got the bulk of the surplus of this deal is in 2024, where he's worth about 26, 27, and he's getting paid eight. So 18 or 19 in surplus. And then after that, it gets more fair, where he's going to get paid 21 and a half million a year. And he's worth 25, 24, 21 with inflation. That's going to be pretty close. So those are mostly like the fair deal years. Um, so, and again, he was only a year and a half away, from, well, less than two years away from, from free agency. So the team leverage was not as great as you have with, say, Logan Webb. So there was a little bit more of a, you know, you're not leaving quite as much money on the table with this extension, in other words. But, you know, both sides seem happy with each other. So um, it's all good. And the other element to this is this is a guy who's dealt with shoulder issues in the past, right? And so a little more incentive there for him to get his money up front and and get it Mm -hmm. locked in, even if he is leaving a few bucks on the table. Right, which is why, I mean, if you look at his numbers, I mean, he he would typically be, you know, more of a star, won't get paid more in the 30s. But because of that, you know, he's more of a 20s-ish guy in terms of AAV if he were a free agent. Right. 
just looking at, at these guys and their numbers this year. Uh, Lopez, five starts. He's got a three ERA on the dot, 283 FIP, 39 strikeouts and in 30 innings. That's pretty good. That's good, right? Luis Arias, man. <laughs> Let's play a game. It's called Guess What Luis Arias' Batting Average Is. Does it start with a four? It sure does. <laughs> I thought so. Yeah, uh, he's hitting 444. <laughs> oh, a lot of fours. Uh, 506 OBP, 583 slug, 201 OPS plus. Yikes. Um, it's early, though. You know, those obviously, are yes. numbers. He's and, not going to be Ted Williams in the end. Right. But... <laughs> right, and he only has one home run. So if I were to switch over to fan graphs, I just pulled up baseball reference right there. And let's see how silly his BABIP is right now. 463. Yeah, so I no I don't think he's going to keep that going. I mean, part of this is just Luis Arias being Luis Arias. He has a 4.9% strikeout rate. Yeah, um, right. But yeah, it seems like he's been... I said it earlier that Lopez was everything the Twins wanted and more. I think you could say the same about Arias, maybe even to a, to a greater extent that, wow, he's been very special for that team and... and Obviously, it's not going to continue, but you're seeing why they wanted yeah. him so badly. Yeah. The Marlins wanted offense. They got some offense. <laughs> He's a machine. And, yep. uh, you know, he, again, he was in his prime. Oh, he still is in his prime, right? So um, it's, a, it's just a, you know, from a pure baseball point of view, each team got what they needed. So good for them, you know. Um, yeah. And, Luis Arias is only 26. He's definitely coming to his own. Still has the defensive question, which holds his value back a bit. But the bat's always going to play. Right. And, and even if it's not going to play in the traditional way, you know, he's he's never going to be a slugger. And, and that's yeah. not as common of a profile in today's game. Maybe that you, you could argue either way, either that, hey, he's he's not as valuable as a player because he doesn't have that power, even though he is still a, a superlative offensive contributor. Or you could say, hey, this is unique. There's less of this. I think it's worth more because of that. Uh, you, you could really go either way on it. Either way, he's a great hitter. <laughs> and that's a team that really needed a great hitter. And so good for them. Yeah. yeah. All right. And then the last one of these, which I think is really interesting, is the Reds extended Hunter Green. So it's a six-year deal with a club option, $53 million guarantee. The club option is worth $21 million. So if I'm not mistaken, this only buys out, let's see. Yeah, this buys out one free agent year guaranteed, and then the club option buys out a second. So really what they're doing is, is locking in the money as is. And so from that perspective, I think this is a really, really good deal for Hunter Green. Don't get me wrong. I think he's really good, and I think he has the potential to, to be a DeGrom type guy, you know, when you throw as hard as green can, the sky's the limit. And last year he had some growing pains, but I think in the end he showed that he's not just a guy who throws hard. He's a pitcher and, and he has a wipeout slider that complements that fastball and might actually be better than the fastball. Um, so I, I think he's great, but I think it's a really good job by him and his agent to get $50 million locked in up front, given some of the ups and downs his career has already had to this point. And given the fact that if, if all goes well, he's still going to hit free agency at a very reasonable time. I think he'll be 30 when he, when he hits free agency, even if the club option is executed here. So he'll be a 30-year-old who's earned, you know, with, with bonuses in that option up to $96 million. And 
right on the free agent market again. So I, I think this is a really, really good deal for him. Not that it's a bad deal for the Reds, but I like this a lot for Green. I like it a lot for the Reds. So he's still somewhat unproven. And the way our model works is, you know, we sort of give them this sort of window for their first two years where, okay, when they first come up, let's see what you can do at the major league level. And then as time goes on, if they're successful, you know, they gradually become that uncertainty sort of fades away and then become established major leaguers. So he hasn't quite established himself as a full on major leaguer yet. And so because of that uncertainty, you know, he's basically taking a discount to his market value. And here the Reds have all the leverage because he's so far away from free agency. They're basically doing what the Braves do. They're locking them up early. And the Rays do this too, of course, and some other teams. But the Braves have really become known for it and and kind of set the template for it. And um, so the Reds are like, yeah, okay, we're we're a smaller budget team. You know, our whole thing is we gotta we gotta play our cards right, draft and develop, and lock up the talent early, and that's what they're doing here. So I you know, by the way, Nick Crawl deserves a lot of credit for for the way he's running the the Reds and the rebuild. He's made some good trades. And this is a good move as well. He's getting young talent in, and he's locking it up. So, And he's got his eye on the prize down the road. So I think good for him. Yeah, we need to give the Reds a lot of credit. Obviously, it took some, some moves to get to this point, right? And, and you can mm-hmm. say what you want about whether they blew up that team prematurely because of those financial reasons. And ownership has had some very questionable comments yes. <laughs> over the last couple of years about, Hey, well, what else are they going to watch? Um, right. But if we, if we, as we were discussing a bit earlier with the A's, if we separate ownership from the players and, and the front office and some of the moves and the development and, and all that that's going on, we can really give the Reds some credit for what they've been doing here. You, you look at Hunter green as you said, he's still not quite there yet as like an established star, but it like really looks like he's just one season away from being that guy. And he might not even be the best young pitcher in that rotation. Mm-hmm. Nick Lodolo is incredible. Uh, his ERA is a little bit inflated this year, and it's it's really interesting. I, I don't know how much you've seen or read on Lodolo, but he has this curveball. I don't know if it's being classified as a sweeper or a slider or what it is, but he has a breaking ball that just moves more than anything else I've ever seen. And mm-hmm. so he's always going to lead the league in hit by pitches because he throws this thing starting in the outside batter's box and it clips the back foot of the batter like every time and half the time they swing at it. Um, so Lodolo, he's he's great. And, and according to reports, they're looking into extending him next. Yep. Graham Ashcraft is a guy yeah. I don't think we've ever talked about on this podcast, but... Yeah, he's kind of come out of nowhere. I think we're late to the party on this one, but he's yep. really, really good too. Yeah, he's coming up. Yep, and Andrew that's... Abbott looks good in the in the minors. Right, Chase right. Petty, they're converting into a starter that looks good so far. I mean, mm-hmm. they've got some guys coming. And that's not even to mention Ellie De La Cruz <laughs> and yeah, some of their other offensive contributors that. Uh, even Spencer Steer is interesting. They got him yeah. uh, in the Tyler Maley trade. I think he's got a big league future i mean might mm-hmm. not be like a huge impact player but he's good mm-hmm. uh tyler stevenson is a good hitter they, they've got a lot of interesting stuff going on over there i you know it's gonna take them another year or two to put it all together and we'll see if they can convince ownership to spend enough to really support it and put together a really really strong team but there's a lot to like uh, i i have my yeah. eye on the reds yeah if you're a reds fan 
a lot of reasons to be optimism. It's not happening this year, mind you, <laughs> but it's getting better. In the next couple of years, it's going to get really interesting. Right. And at least you're at the stage over there where there's something interesting to watch on the field every day, it seems like. Totally. Whether it's yeah. one of those three guys I just listed, Green, Lodolo, or Ashcraft taking a turn in the rotation, and you get to see how that goes. Or maybe it is a Luis Sessa day. He had a really rough start the other day. He gave up yeah. like eight runs in the first inning or something. But even if it is him, well, hey, you get to watch Jonathan India and see if he's good. That's a that's a fun question. Uh, you get to see Steer and Stevenson and yeah, there's there's just a lot to like, yeah. a lot to look at. Yeah. On the bad news side, it looks like Jose Barrero is a bust. Uh, he's still not doing it. Um, and Senzel looks like a bust too. I think his day is done. So you know, you went to Milosim. I didn't even mention Joey Votto. They still have Joey Votto. He's on the <laughs> IL. And <laughs> yeah. not that great anymore, but he's no. still Joey Votto. Yeah, he's like the ambassador. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's all for the extensions from this week. Uh, and let's move on to a few other transactions and, and some injury news. Uh, first one being the D-backs finally cut bait. And they finally DFA'd Madison Bumgarner. Wow, yeah. was this overdue. Oh, my God. I hated that deal the first moment I saw it. Yep. I, I think a lot of us did. It felt weird from the beginning. You know, they, they could have spent, like, $20 million more. And I know I know it's silly, like, only $20 million. But they could, have, they could have spent a few bucks more and maybe another year and gotten Zach Wheeler and imagine how much happier they would be right now. Yeah. Uh, but instead, they got Madison Bumgarner, and it went terribly. I think there was a comment that said, from from some other team that you know they prepared to face Bumgarner by like going through some of the same preparations they would if they were facing a position player pitching oh. which is ouch <laughs> ouch <laughs> yeah but I, I guess it's warranted when the guy had a 1026 ERA this year and was walking almost a batter per inning and it's not a whole lot better than it was the last few years like he and Ugh. Yeah, he can't even hit 90 anymore. He's basically yeah. throwing batting practice out there. And then to top it off, he got mad at... Who was the hitter he got mad at? For... Oh, was that Wilson Contreras? Yeah, yeah, which is, you know, okay. It's just insult to injury at that point. Yeah, this is a guy who has a history of causing problems on the mound. Um, and I'm not sure he's exactly a stand-up guy. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> but, yeah, so, so I think he might just be toast. Um, I kind of thought the same thing about... Not not to really compare the two too closely, but I thought the same thing about Dallas Keuchel a year or two ago, and then he kind of bounced around the league for some reason. Yeah. So yeah. maybe Bumgarner does the same, but well, certainly no one's picking up that contract. So right, right, he will get released, and somebody mm -hmm. maybe will try him on a, on a league minimum salary and see if something works. You know, maybe somebody can. I don't think he's fixable, to be honest, because you lose that much velocity, and you're just sort of throwing BP at this point, that maybe there's some other pitching expert. Maybe he has a pitch that they can use out of the bullpen for league minimum. Somebody, maybe he can be flipped if a rebuilding team signs him. I don't know. I'm just speculating here. Yeah, I think it's telling that the D-backs didn't even try him in the bullpen, and they don't exactly have the prettiest bullpen in baseball. Um, I don't know if that speaks more to what they think of him from a talent perspective of, hey, this stuff just isn't going to play in the bullpen either. It's just going to be the same thing. Or if it's more of a of a personality thing where he would have really ruffled feathers to stick him in the bullpen and he would have been really unhappy about it, so we might as well just get him out of town. Uh, so I don't know which one of those two it is, but 
I think there was also a quote that like this guy's only going to be usable if he adds a new pitch <laughs> or something, and it's like that's that's a bit rough when you're yeah. 33 and have kind of the resume that Bumgarner does. I don't think he's going to be lining up to to reinvent himself necessarily. He seems like a, a little bit stubborn to say the least. Um, yeah, there was some speculation that maybe Texas, given Bruce Bochy over there and, and they have some pitching needs, but I, I think and he can do a like rodeo to, on the side, right? Yeah, <laughs> but I'd, I'd like to think they have their sights set a little bit higher. So, yeah, farewell, uh, Mason Saunders, I guess, or I guess, <laughs> I guess, welcome back, Mason Saunders. If he's not going to be pitching anymore, go. maybe he's got time for that, exactly. All right, um, another a disgruntled lefty, I guess you could put it, maybe not disgruntled, but struggling lefty. There we go. Uh, the Orioles optioned Cole Irvin, which was a bit of a surprise. Uh, he only made, I think, three starts for them. I'm going to pull this up. Uh, three starts for the Orioles this year. Yeah. Had a 1066 ERA. That's obviously not how you want that to go. But they cut bait on him. Not not cut bait. Cut bait is a bit aggressive. But they sent him down to AAA pretty aggressively early in the season, given that he was like their main offseason acquisition. They had a very quiet offseason, and, and their biggest move was trading for Irvin giving up Darrell Hernias and that deal at the time seemed like a massive underpay uh, according to the model. And maybe it's that the model was slow on Hernias. Maybe it's that the model was overvaluing Irvin as an innings eater. And I, I think it's, it's much too soon to really say anything definitive about that deal or about the model or anything, just because the guy had three bad starts and got sent down to, to work on some things. Um, but it is. It's not something you like to see if you're the Orioles, and it's it's certainly something to keep an eye on. That you know, it's not like Irvin was ever a superstar, but in Oakland at least, he was a guy who could take the ball every fifth day, give you five or six innings, and you would most likely be in the game when he left it. Right? He he wasn't leaving having given up eight runs too often, and. It's, it's a bummer that he, to this point, hasn't been able to be that guy for Baltimore. I thought he might be a decent fit for that ballpark, given how mm -hmm. far they pushed back the left field wall. And that's kind of his that, that was the main concern, right, about him coming out of Oakland was that how many home runs did the Coliseum save for him? Well, maybe he goes to another park where it's just as hard to hit home runs out to left now. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I haven't seen all three of these starts. I don't know how he got burned. I I think there were also some roster considerations in play here. Uh, they had to keep things pretty fluid due to a couple injuries, and that's why they called up uh, Grayson Rodriguez so early in the season like they did. And so we could see this guy back very shortly. It looks like he's had one solid start in AAA for them. Um, I expect we see him with Baltimore a lot more. This isn't the end of the... This isn't... We're not closing the book on this trade by any means. Yeah, no, I have no further insight into this one at all, other than that, yeah... He's a back-end starter. He's an inning singer. He's going to go up and down. Roster stuff is going to come and go. So, you know, he kind of is what it is. Yeah. Um, I don't think um, – and, and from a modeling perspective, you know, put up, he's put up some good numbers, like you said. We knew he was below average in terms of his advanced stats and expected stats, and so we accounted for that. But he was still pre-arb. Like, so a decent-ish pitcher, like you said, who could keep a team in the game, who you have four years of control of. It's going to mean, and, you know, he's not going to cost you all that much, even when he does hit arm. So there's some surplus value there. So I'm fine that the model was 
you know, uh, perhaps a little high on him because another guy would show the same numbers and we might speak totally different of it. But look, um, you know, sometimes you have to kind of look at the reality and say, yeah, he's a backup starter, back end starter, and he's going to go up and down. And that's what's happening here. Right. And also part of the value we had baked in there was that he had an option, right? Yeah. And so this is just them utilizing that value yeah, exactly. of if they have the freedom when he's not doing as well to send him down, get him sorted out and try some other arms in, in the meantime. So, yeah. So I, I, yeah. I think that's an element of it. Um, I think it's also just comparing the Baltimore Orioles as a baseball team to the 2022 Oakland A's even <laughs> where he was the fixture in the A's rotation and he's like the fourth or fifth guy as he should be for Baltimore. Right. And that's even in the Baltimore rotation. That isn't all that great either. I'm, nobody's writing home about that one either, at least at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, so, so it's, it's a difference between the best guy on a worse, on a bad team and one of the least valuable guys on a, on a much better team. Hmm. Okay. Coming team. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, Another veteran that their team cut bait, the Angels optioned David Fletcher, which caught everyone off guard, I think. I mean, I think we all knew that he's been struggling and he, he hasn't been the same they guy these last couple him, of years. Josh. They did. They, they did. him. Right. I think it was originally announced as being optioned, but then okay. you're yeah. right. They, they did DFA him and nobody claimed him and he was outrighted. And that's right. because he's on guaranteed money and is an infielder glove first with a negative 30 ops plus this year <laughs> granted 16 16 at bats um but yeah it's it's been a struggle for him these last couple years he had that a pretty solid 2019 and a breakout 2020 in the shortened season and then since then he's just been kind of a utility guy which is what you really expected david fletcher to be wow he finished 17th in mvp voting in 2020 <laughs> um but yeah, so, so this is David Fletcher. It, it's just who he is. And they gave him guaranteed money on the off chance that he was more than this on, you know, he is a regular player for a contender. And that's just not how he ended up. So he's guaranteed, da, 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 looks like about 18 and a half million, uh, not including buyouts. So more like 19, 20 million throughout the remainder of this contract, he's guaranteed. And yeah, so no team wanted anything to do with that. I think just as interesting as cutting bait with Fletcher was the corresponding move because the Angels called up Zach Nito, who yeah. was their 2022 draft pick and only played like 50 games in the minors or something. So really interesting, that really aggressive move on their part. And they obviously had kind of a black hole at shortstop. And, and so he's going to be given a shot early on in this season to see if he can provide some stability there before they turn to what I'm assuming would be external options, because we all knew that Gio Urshela was not going to last as their shortstop for a full season mm -hmm. or Luis Renjifo or Fletcher yeah. himself or anything like that. So um, it's interesting. I don't think we've seen this necessarily from the angels before of being quite this aggressive, uh, but I guess we'll see how it works out. It, he hasn't been setting the world on fire through his first handful of games here. Nito hasn't. Um, but way, way too early to say anything definitive on this guy. Yeah, so if you look at kind of the chain reaction, Rendon is not setting the world on fire either at third base. He's got a 73 WRC plus, negative 0.1 on F4, batting 217. And so, like, okay, yeah, <laughs> we know he's kind of broken at this point, but we're still trying. So, like, if you move... 
Urshela over to third and and keep Nito at short, presuming he sticks. You know, you're still you're you're just basically moving some deck chairs around because Rendon is not what you thought he was, and so you have to stick Ur Urshela over there and then call up Nito. Fletcher was not what you thought he was when you extended him. So they're just adjusting on the fly. And I think I sense some urgency because of the usual issues. You know, Atani's last year, Trout suck getting any younger, they gotta win owner put in pressure so they're just like okay what can we do what can we do okay well and they're getting bolder and i kind of like that actually they're calling a spade a spade here so fletcher's not good anymore so like hey you're off the team you know so and i suspect what that means is if i can if i can be a soothsayer for a moment as we get closer to the deadline if they are in it if they do have a shot of at least a wild card i think they're going to be aggressive if they're not in it, they're going to be aggressive the other way. So either way, I think it's it's a black and white year for them. Right. And I don't think they can do something similar to this with Rendon. I don't think they would. We we saw a similar situation with Pujols a few years back, and, and they really just ran him until the end of that contract, really, and mm -hmm. gave up on him in that last year. And w with the amount of money that Rendon is guaranteed, yeah, it makes sense to just keep giving him shots and pray that he can make something work. But I think what you're saying, if they are in it at the deadline and they and they need to be aggressive, I don't think they'd hesitate to bench him or yeah, to right. have him in a short side platoon role somewhere and, and get somebody who can actually hit and field and right. be a productive player for them. They're tired of mediocrity. They're tired of fudging. They're like, this is it, guys. Otani's leaving after this. We got to do it now. So, uh, yeah, that's I, I, in a way, I, I think it's good. Yep, they're they're tired of mediocrity, and that's why uh, currently this season they have a ten and eleven record. <laughs> <laughs> Too shy. Yeah. It, it's still <laughs> still very early. Um, they've been making a lot of moves in the bullpen as well. They just optioned Jimmy Her Her God Hergit Her yeah. Herge <laughs> one of the Herge. two. It's like Tarjay. Um, yeah. <laughs> And he was like expected to play a really big role in that bullpen. Yeah, he's good last year. Hasn't gotten it going at all. Um, they've he's, had a he's lot a of He's a low velocity there. kind of deception yeah. guy. Very, very, very small mm -hmm. margin of error there. <clears throat> right. And so they've had some movement there. I wouldn't be surprised to see some movement in the rotation soon, given some of their struggles there. I mean, I don't think they're doing anything with Tyler Anderson. They just need him to get it going. But Jose Suarez has a 9.26 ERA. Mm. Granted, it's three starts. It's still early, et cetera, et cetera. But that's if they're if they're willing to cut bait on Fletcher so soon, I, I would keep an eye on some of these other struggling players as well. Yeah, and they're they're a bit banged up as well. They just placed Logan O'Hoppy on the injured list, and he was off to a really good start to the year. Yeah, something um, going on with his shoulder there. That's looked yeah. weird when I saw it. Yeah, like ugh. It's, it's concerning. Yeah. Um, so now they have Matt Thice starting at catcher. That's no. That's fun. Yeah. Well, Godspeed Angels. He's not what, what he's off to a very cold start. Yeah. He's not what what they hoped he would be. Yeah. Um, yeah. So once again, you got Otani and Trout and and <laughs> Prey. <laughs> you got Otani and Trout and Trout's doppelganger Hunter Renfro yeah. is hitting well. Um, okay. Yeah. So maybe they just need to keep cloning those two guys and they'll, yeah. <laughs> they'll have a winning team. Yeah. Well, all right. Uh, that's it for transactions. And then we have three unfortunate bits of injury news to go through. Uh, the Brewers outfielder Garrett Mitchell 
require shoulder surgery and it might end his season, which is a big bummer. Uh, part of what was making those Brewers so fun to watch was they had a really exciting young outfield. And granted, there's still some guys there. Joey Weimer, it looks like just a, a defensive star. And if he can figure out the bat, he, he's going to be a really quality player out there. He's going to slide over to center field and, and fill in for Mitchell. But a bummer that they're going to lose Mitchell. They do have Sal Frelick in the wings, but he was also uh, recently injured. He, he hurt his thumb, I think, in AAA. And so they're still evaluating there and trying to figure out how serious that's going to be. And if, if he will be able to step in for Mitchell in the near future. Um, but yeah, it's the Brewers as constituted, if they want to be a contender, they're a team who, that can't afford many injuries like this. And so it's unfortunate to see, especially so early in the season. Yeah, it's weird because everyone's saying, wow, the, the Brewers have a surplus of outfielders and their starting right fielder right now is Blake Perkins. So that's not good, right? No offense, Blake, but you're, yeah, no. Um, and, you know, they're in a weird year. There's still, Yelich is still like a big question mark. Like, he's not the same as he used to be. Yeah, Woodruff is on the IL. Burns got off to a little bit of a rocky start. And so that vaunted rotation is sort of now has some question marks. And so, like, this is, this is a team that could be sellers at the deadline, as many have started to speculate. Uh, if, if, you know, if things don't, don't, quite get fixed and given that they have some young talent in the outfield once they get healthy you know they they do have some future here but you know and those pitchers you know woodruff and burns you know only have less than two years of control left so there's going to be some speculation that uh there might be sellers with those guys and they'll get a lot for each of them they're both you know assuming woodruff comes back to health so that's starting to that chatter is starting to happen here with milwaukee right and, and even without Mitchell, I pulled up the roster resource page. I'm surprised at how much I like this lineup, even even without him. And, and with him in it, it would be much stronger. I think maybe part of that is William Contreras is off to a hotter start than we expect him to keep. And, and maybe same thing with Brian Anderson. But there's there's some depth here that wasn't here in recent years. And so if the pitching can figure it out, maybe they maybe they are a stronger team than I'm giving them credit for. Uh, right now, they are. I was shocked to see that they're 15 at six, 15 and six. And, and leading the division and wouldn't you wouldn't you believe it nipping on their heels just a half game back threatening for the nl central crown it's those <laughs> mighty pittsburgh pirates the mighty pittsburgh pirates i love it yeah no uh small sample sizes here folks yeah <laughs> this is, yeah i mean both good that they got off the hot, hot, hot starts it's not gonna last but you know good for them and this is a point in the season where you can like really interpret things however you want, right? If the Pirates start 15 and 7, then it's, uh, it's just fluky small sample size. But if you already believed that maybe the Cardinals were a weaker team than, than they were getting credit for, and you see that they started at 8, 13, 8 and 13, then hey, that's just, a, that's just a feather in your cap, right? That's, that's, uh, you were right. You're a genius. Um, when in reality, we should just treat all of this with with the same grain of salt and the same yeah. small sample size warnings and let things shake out a little bit more before we jump to any conclusions um but i think you you can at least definitively say that the brewers are off to a better start to the season than the st louis cardinals and, and those two teams are really the only teams to watch in that division from 
at least for 2023. Looking well, the Cubs may sneak in for a wild card, and they're off to an okay start. So they're yeah, about 500. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, I could see it. I think wild the wild card race will be competitive, but I could. They're yeah. they're at least worth mentioning. You're right. I mean, you got the Braves, Mets, and Phillies are going to be strong, um, mm-hmm. but they're also going to beat each other up, so the records are going to be questionable. Um, and uh, it, the NL West is really interesting because the Dodgers are sort of mediocre. The Padres are a little bit colder than people thought. The D-backs are a little bit better than people thought and got some energy. So who knows? It could be competitive. It's pretty wide open, and we're not even a month into the season now. So what am I talking about? This, this is None of this means anything yet. Right. That that's what we're trying to we're trying to <laughs> preach here. <is laughs> exactly. Cool your jets. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right, uh, a couple more injuries to get through here. Chris Bubich undergoing Tommy John surgery, bit of a bummer. Um, I think he was actually having like, he's his finally starting to have his breakout uh, as a former top prospect. Yeah, he had a really strong start to the season, uh, especially by his standards, given how he struggled in the big leagues the last couple years. Um, so it's a bummer. You hate to see it there. Um, but obviously the Royals, not really a team poised to contend this year necessarily. I think they really wanted to get more answers out of their pitching staff this year. And obviously that's a, that's a big blow to that is losing him so early, but I guess that just opens up an opportunity for someone else, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Kind of killed his value too. He's at zero because it pretty much wipes out this year and most of next year. And he was starting to turn the corner. So it's unfortunate. Hope hope he comes back. Right. Probably not too much else to say there. Yeah. Um, And then the last one, which is a larger one is Jeffrey Springs undergoing Tommy John surgery as well. And this is a guy who absolutely, first of all, props to Jeff Springs for getting his money. (laughs) Um, just in time yeah um we talked about him when he was extended i don't remember if that was the last episode or the one before but just a a weird career and a really impressive turn with the rays these last few years of he kind of bounced around as a lefty reliever who couldn't get it done and then found himself a home with the rays and was pretty serviceable in the bullpen for them and then in 2022, they just had a need in the rotation. It wasn't like they came into the year with any plans of stretching him out, but they had a lot of guys go down at the same time, and they turned to the next guy up, and it was him, and he was fantastic for them down the stretch. And, of and course, it, like we said, with with what the A's should be doing is what the mm-hmm. Rays are doing, which is turning, you know, um, you know, uh, a, a, an ugly duckling into a swan, and that's what they did here. Right, right. It's it's a fantastic example of what they are so good at and teams yeah. like the A's are so bad at. Um, mm-hmm. So he was fantastic for them down the stretch, played it into an extension this offseason, looked even better to start this year. Like he mm-hmm. was just striking everybody yeah. out, and then down he goes. So yeah. he will miss the rest of this season, and I, I'd wager a chunk of next season as well. So a bit of a bummer. And this yeah. is a guy who's already on the wrong side of 30. So we'll yeah, have probably. to see how he comes back, given given the lack of track record really prior to 2022. Yeah, and so when they signed, when the Rays signed him to an extension, there was surplus value there, obviously, and a fairly healthy amount because, you know, they locked him up for a few years under under market. Um, and you might wonder, okay, now he's got negative value, and that's because 
one side of that is fixed and one side is variable. The money is fixed. He's still owed $30.3 million thereabouts. But because he's not going to be pitching this year and, and perhaps most of next year, that really tanked his field value, which is down to 28.6. So now we have minus 1.7. Um, so that's uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the good news is, you know, they've got him for you know, uh, a little less than five years now, 4.8 years left, basically. Um, so he does have time to come back. You know, 2023 is wiped out. 2024 is probably mostly wiped out. So you've still got him for 25, 26, 27. So there's still some value there, at least on the field. But you're paying him, so there's no surplus. Yeah, and, you know, the good news is that the rest of the team is really picking up here. The Rays are 18 and three. I, I can't believe it. <laughs> they're they're so good. Everyone in that lineup is clicking. They are all hitting. It's obviously it's not going to stay this way, but it's really impressive what they've done to this point. Um, and it's just laughing in the face of some of the things I said this off season about being maybe a little bit lower on the raise than in recent years and, and how, I don't know. I didn't think they were as strong. I didn't think they were as deep. And so far they're proving me wrong. That being said, things could get a little shaky here soon in the rotation having lost springs and Tyler glass now is still out. And even when he is healthy, I don't know if we can expect more than a hundred innings from him this year. Even that feels a little bit optimistic. I mean, they, they'll be really good innings and maybe they'll save some of those bullets for October, but I, you can't really count on him for too, too much. And, and so right now on roster resource, they only have four guys listed in their rotation, McClanahan, Eflin, Taj Bradley, their top prospect who came up and has been really good and drew Rasmussen. So that's a really strong four, but past them, you know, to fill that fifth slot left by Springs and Glass now being out, we're looking at Yanni Torinos or Josh Fleming or dipping back into the Luis Patino well, or yeah, there's, there's just not a whole lot. And so if another guy goes down, they could really be in trouble with that rotation. So I, for now, incredible team, 18 and three start, like I said, and, and I need to tip my cap to them. But I think we could get into dangerous territory here if if they have another guy or two go down. They're just not as deep as the Rays typically are. Yeah, on the pitching side, but on the hitting side, what I love about it is everybody's clicking. You know, we we've talked in the past about yeah, this is a team of you know fifteen two war players, right? When they are kind of that still, but everybody's holding their holding their own, right? Uh, Franco, Wander Franco seems to have taken an, a, a nice step forward. Rosa Reina's having a really good year. Brandon Lau's back. You know, and then they got the platoon guys like Carol Ramirez, Josh Lowe's hitting, you know, Paredes is a platoon guy who's, you know, everybody's doing their job, basically. Taylor Walls, who would have thought that is hitting? So, um, so that whole offense is clicking and the pitching has been great, but as you said, um, yes, there's some red flags there. Who knows if and Drew Rasmussen, is he going to hold up? He's had two Tommy Johns in the past. Uh, Eflin's just coming off of, you know, bad knees. And Josh Bradley is an unknown, but off to a good start, but, you know, he's a rookie. So, yeah, there's some question marks on the pitching side, and they may be buyers. Well, it seems like they would be buyers at the deadline, um, you know, given given that, that, that shakiness in the rotation. Yeah, and they do always have pieces. They always have a deep farm system. It's just, it's kind of an in-between year, at least it seems like, where they've got some guys in high A and, and double A that haven't quite taken that step forward to be major league reinforcements yet. And so yeah. that's that's at least what I'm seeing. And so they'll still have guys to trade, but they just don't have quite that next man up 
that they usually do, at least on the pitching side. I know they have a couple interesting guys. You know, Curtis Mead is going to come up at some point here, and he's he looks really good. Um, Jonathan Aranda is interesting as well if they need another left-handed bat. But yeah, so definitely something to watch. Obviously, it's never great when a pitcher as good as Springs goes down. If anybody can figure it out, it's the Rays, but we'll have to see if they uh, if they have the depth in place to, to get through this whole season as is. So Cole Wilk- Wilcox is one of their better pitching prospects, and he's doing, you know, granted it's a small sample size with three starts in double A, but he's got a 150 ERA, 184 FIP, off to a really good start. And he was, you know, health was the issue before with him, and he seems fully healthy again. Um, so, and, and then we've got a guy named Mason Montgomery. Um, so if we're really looking at tapping into the farm, he's also in double A, he's a 22 year old, um, you know, early, early days yet still, but some promise there. So there would be a big, a bit of a leap because those guys are quite ready yet, but you know, there's some, some upside there too. Yeah. And if the Rays are good at knowing when these guys are and aren't yeah. ready and it's, yeah, yeah. it's maybe not as straightforward as, Hey, they need to have this many starts in AAA before they're good to go. And if one of those guys has taken a significant step forward and the race think they're ready for the bigs, they're just going to call them up. All right. Um, I don't think there's anything else from me today, at least. Um, do you have anything else you want to go over? Uh, no, I'm good. Awesome. So yeah, uh, we'll mention it just one more time. Keep your eyes out for news on the new and improved baseball trade values website. We will keep you guys posted on all the updates there. Uh, but yeah, otherwise, I think that'll do it for this week. Thank you all so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at baseballvalues. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back in a couple weeks to break down more news and updates. So until then, stay safe and enjoy the season. Thanks, John. Thanks, Josh.